welcome to the CND podcast. I'm the clinical editor, Naima Kalachand. I had the pleasure of chatting to one of the members of our clinical advisory board, Mikan Patel. Mikan is the lead pharmacist in gastroenterology at Imperial College Trust. He also looks regularly in community pharmacy. I caught up with him on the topic of opioid-induced constipation, something he's seeing more and more regularly due to increased opioid prescribing. Hi Megan, thanks so much for joining me today. Um, could you just tell me a bit about yourself and a bit about your background and your, what you specialise in in pharmacy? Yeah, sure. Thank you, Neymar, for having me. Um, so, my name's Megan. I'm one of pharmacists at uh, Imperial Trust at the moment. Um, so, I did my pre-reg in 2011, um, then did my training um, over there for a bit at Worthing Hospital and then went to Croydon for three, four years, and then now at Imperial Trust. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I specialise in gastroenterology, um, where there's a huge focus in inflammatory bowel disease, um, amongst other topics as well, in gastroenterology. How long have you been specialising in gastroenterology uh, for? Two and a half years. Okay. So, mm-hmm. so fairly fair bit of time, I'll say. Yeah. And is so, it quite a large team that you work with? Yes. So we have about 15 consultants, mm-hmm. about four IBD nurses, um, so quite a large MDT. Mm-hmm. Um, I've just finished my AP about six months ago, so I'm looking to start clinic next month okay. in inflammatory bowel diseases. Oh, so, mm-hmm. so yeah, quite exciting times ahead. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I thought today it would be really interesting to speak to you about some of the things that you specialise in, and quite something that's quite prevalent at the minute is yeah. opioid-induced uh, constipation. Yes. So, um, first of all. What what kind of what is the mechanism for you know what what is it that actually happens in the body whenever um, patients are taking opioids? Yeah, sure. Um, so opioids, as we know, is a sort of a, it's a mu receptor antagonist, and the gastrointestinal tract, the motility, is usually dependent on quite a fine balance between the neurotransmitters, the excitatory and inhibitory mm-hmm. elements of the neurotransmitters and neuromodulators. Now, in our tract, when the opioids bind to these receptors, uh, the kappa, mu, and the gamma receptors, basically, um, it inhibits the release of the neurotransmitters. So what it does, it stimulates the production of adenylate cyclase and inhibits the calcium channels, and in turn results in a decrease in neurotransmitter release. And what that means is there is a net effect of reduced gut motility and it's causing uh, constipation, side symptoms. Mm -hmm. The other element is um, the fact that GI tract secretes approximately nine to nine and a half litres of uh, fluid a day. Mm -hmm. So it's quite interesting, Um, you know, you get approximately two litres of saliva secretion uh, approximately one and a half litres of bile, two litres of pancreatic juice. So what it does when the opioids bind to these receptors, it kind of results in a decrease in chloride and water secretion into the gut lumen. Mm-hmm. And hence you get you also get basically less water into the gut. And that causes sort of straining and kind of harder feces. And is this something that you come across regularly in hospital or...? Um, or in community, because I know you also uh, look them as well. Yes, yes, um, quite common, uh, more common than you actually think. Um, one study has shown that in about 
40 to 60 percent of patients who are non-cancer related having opioids uh, accounts for opioid induced mm -hmm. constipation and for patients who have cancer on opioids on the long term yeah. it's around about 50 to 80 percent mm -hmm. so actually more than we actually think and what so what other conditions do you see that opioids are usually used for um so palliative care is the main um patients on um, moderate to severe opioids um and on for on it for quite a while um oncology um ties in with palliative rheumatology uh, you know patients with rheumatoid arthritis osteoarthritis they're on opioids for quite a long time uh, uh, patients with MS, so neurology cohort patients. Um, so quite a large cohort of patients are on opioids. Now, we do see a lot of patients on opioids for chronic pain. We know the evidence for chronic pain is not great. Mm -hmm. um, but that's something that we do need to tackle as well. So, so what, what, do you, what do you do in the hospital then in that case? Um, so we have a quite... We have, a, we have a pain team mm -hmm. um, and we refer these patients to the pain team and they're always ongoing in terms of pain management review and trying to reduce, um, it's, it's a really delicate balance controlling pain and trying to wean them off. Yeah. Um, there's so many other elements to it like rehab and um, for recovery etc that, that helps with the pain and the threshold of pain yeah. and the management hopefully reducing um, the opioids over time. Do you find patients are quite reluctant to come off their opioid medication? Um, yes, and it's all about education. Mm. It's all about how you how you educate them in terms of what opioids can do in the long term basis, and what the consequences are. Yeah. Um, and once they kind of understand the kind of uh, side effects and the complications around it, yeah, um, the better the they're more engaged yeah. within trying to get this weaned off yeah. because they know the pain is going to be there for a long time. Yeah, and this, I guess, is something that community pharmacists could be educating patients on every time Absolutely. they're dispensing a prescription. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, and this is where it comes in, especially with medicines use review and yeah. the NMS services as well. Yeah. Is that something that you would try then to speak to patients about when you're locoming in a community pharmacy? Absolutely, mm -hmm. absolutely. And we get so many patients coming to buy you know, pain relief over the counter and I always tend to ask them, you know, where is the pain? How long you've had it for? Um, I think in reality, we all accept that a lot of patients, when they come to the counter, are probably tired of us asking that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, being persistent mm -hmm. is the key because when you start telling them um, what the impact is of having um, opiates for a long time, yeah. they... they, they you might get, you know, out of 20 patients, one might listen to you. Yeah. And they're willing to engage and to help them. So going back a bit to the opioid-induced constipation, mm -hmm. what what are the kind of symptoms that you would expect from that? You know, what what could pharmacists look out for um, of patients complaining in the, in, in the pharmacy when they come in for advice? Sure. Generally, constipation is mm -hmm. one. Um, you can get bloated sensation diarrhea so that's probably because of an overflow blockage and um, there's an overflow of feces coming through um, nausea and vomiting uh, we get fecal impaction so it's just not moving at all 
and just poor quality of life as well. So, um, and when it comes to constipation, we use something called in gastroenterology the Rome 4 criteria. Okay. Um, and basically, what that is, um, it's very just few criteria basically helping to diagnose it. So, you know, if they've had um, two of the following criteria in the past three months, such as hard stools in at least a one in four defecation, or straining in at least one in four defecation, and in sensation of in, of incomplete evacuation, um, and less than three bowel movements in a week, mm-hmm. you know, you've got a strong indication there that the patient's quite constipated. Mm-hmm. Um, and something um, so that most people probably would have heard of the Bristol stool chart. Yeah. Um, you know, I try and identify what type of stool is it. Mm-hmm. Type one, type two, type three. You know, they're describing those kind of stools. Yeah, good indication. Mm-hmm. And then, so other than the obvious patients that are taking opioids, is there any other patients that might be, you know, who come in to buy um, cocoa or something that might be more susceptible to this kind of side effect? Um, Generally, we say the elderly are a bit more susceptible to it. Um, female, um, oddly, uh, from a cross-sectional study that I recently saw. Okay. Um, but generally, the elderly and those patients who don't have have a very sedentary lifestyle, mm-hmm. you, don't, you don't move much. Um, also, comorbidities like neurological, endocrinological, uh, for example, long-standing diabetes, we know uh, neurologically has an effect on the gut as well. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, those are the kind of patients that you're more likely and more susceptible. Okay. And so from a community pharmacist's point of view, what kind of questions should you be asking the patient if they if they come into the pharmacy to try and identify that that's, that's what it is? Um, again, you know, you can use the room for criteria. Um, ask them, you know how the stools are um, in terms of they're hard are you straining um, what's the sensation like uh, how many times are you going in a day or in a week um, and also when they're coming to buy over the counter laxatives as well you know ask them are you on any stronger opioids so trying to get a quite um, going through the one questions yeah. that we typically do and trying to get an in-depth kind of drug history as it were um, and that will give you a strong indication yeah. and also they may already be taking a few types of laxatives yeah. already um, so it's quite important to ascertain what other drugs they're taking as well as other laxatives yeah. and I guess that might be a good opportunity to identify patients who don't necessarily realise it's the opioid that's causing constipation yeah, yeah no, absolutely <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, so once you've identified that this is what a patient could be suffering from, what what advice would you then give the patient? You know, what kind of counselling advice would you give them, and then what are the treatment steps that you would take? Sure. Um, so generally, we say you know plenty of fluids, like classic sort of lifestyle dietary interventions. Would this be first line? Um, yes, yeah. first line. If there are no laxatives, mm-hmm. um, if they're already taking opioids. Um, then we might suggest, yes, prophylactically take some laxative. Mm-hmm. If they're not on opioids, then generally for constipation management, it's dietary lifestyle advice. Mm-hmm. 
if there are no opioids, I said would advise sort of a gentle laxative, yeah. um, something like a macrocol or a lactulose um, to take prophylactically to help the bowels moving. But yes, dietary interventions are still important. Um, you know, so I do always say, you know, take plenty of fluids in, in the form of water, fresh juices, tea, decaf, coffee. So plenty of fluids. And in terms of diet, so when I'm local and sometimes I'm local in supermarkets, I always take a little peek in there in their trolley mm-hmm. is always a good indication oh, yeah. you know mm-hmm. what kind of foods they're eating mm-hmm. uh, is it processed or fresh uh, fresh fruits and veg um, and try to intervene in that way as mm-hmm. well to encourage them healthier living um, are, are there any drugs that um, might exacerbate the condition um, you know things that might interact uh, with opioids that might make it worse Yes, um, so there is there are quite a few drugs. It's it's quite important too when we're, when we're asking about patients what else they're taking. Um, you know, iron supplements, diuretics, um, anticholinergics. They're all drugs that actually um, make opioid-induced constipation a bit worse, so they exacerbate it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, always worth trying to identify that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know this again if you're doing an MUR is also worth noting that do the patients really need the iron supplements have they been on it for two years do they still need to be continuing Mm -hmm. so it's quite a nice time to review um, and feed that back to the patients Um, so can you talk to me a bit more then about the treatment pathway what then is recommended if, if laxatives don't work or um, you know what the next steps would be? Yeah, so generally with laxatives what we tend to do is we tend to work stepwards mm-hmm. and step, stepwise approach. Um, so first line we tend to go with a gentle laxative, something like lactulose. If that doesn't work we step it up to a macro goal. Um, if two laxatives are not working that's what then we step it up to center or what Doc you say mm-hmm. more of a, like a stimulant laxative yeah. um, and if those conventional laxatives are not working then we go down the route of something called um, naloxagol um, which is basically a mu receptor antagonist that drug has been recommended by NICE TA345 that you know there is evidence that it helps patients and it's cost effective way of doing it so the the beauty of naloxagol is that it's pegylated, okay. so it it basically it's not permeable, so it doesn't pass the blood-brain barrier, etc. Okay. So it just works locally in the gut. It's a mu receptor antagonist, mm-hmm. so it stops the opioids binding from onto those receptors, okay. and hence you don't get the constipation effect. Yeah. Um, and we do tend to say, you know, do have caution. Um, in patients that have cancer related pain especially it's contraindicated where the cancer is uh, the underlying cancer is at high risk of GI perforation or, or they have underlying malignancy of the GI tract mm. so that's, a, that's where it's contraindicated but other than that um, it's quite, quite, a, uh, quite a good drug yeah. and it's mm. had a quite you've positive seen, response yeah. yes yeah. Is there any side effects that you've noticed other than the kind of usuals or anything that patients have complained about? Nothing, no, no. Nothing that you should be absolutely vigilant about. Yeah. No. Um, what 
So what if, if a patient presented in the pharmacy and they'd, they'd try different things, is there anything, any kind of red flag symptoms that you would, you know, suggest immediate referral for? Oh yes, absolutely. I mean, so if if they've complained of any sort of blood in the stools, um, that's an immediate referral, a new onset of this opioid constipation um, in the elderly, um, a family history of bowel cancer, which often we don't tend to ask about. Yeah. Um, if they've got inflammatory bowel disease, um, or if they've had to have manual evacuation of the bowels, we call it a tenesmus, um, and if they've had any recent weight loss, yeah. um, these are the symptoms that you should definitely be referring patients to yeah. um, immediately. Um, the other thing is that I didn't mention actually is when we're advising about patients about diet as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got to be cautious when advising because if some patients who've got underlying irritable bowel syndrome or inflammatory bowel disease is worth asking about are they on a special type of diet because they might already be on a special type yeah. of diet so such as like a low FODMAP diet. Yeah. Um, so it's always worth getting them to... Um, talk to the dietitian or the GP beforehand yeah. if you don't feel comfortable advising around that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, and then is there any other advice that pharmacists can, can give to patients as well? Um, other than, I know we've mentioned some lifestyle and dietary. Yeah, on... because it's opioid-induced constipation, they've got an underlying pain. Yeah. Um, and pain is quite, quite challenging to manage in some patients depending on how they experiencing some sort of severe, acute, sharp, dull. Um, but um, mindfulness is quite important, and we're seeing more and more evidence around the relationship between the gut and the brain, the gut-brain axis, and how that plays a massive role in uh, in our digestion, in the way we feel, etc. So, you know, really simplistic way of thinking about it is if you're experiencing pain, um, it's likely to agitate the person, increase stress, anxiety. That in itself puts you in a fight or flight mode, yeah. and that increases the tone of the gut. Um, you're less relaxed. You're in, you know, the sympathetic drive, um, and that is, you know, naturally going to uh, be in a constipation state. Yeah. So mindfulness is quite important in terms of managing the pain as a root cause, and hopefully that will help some patients in relaxing. Yeah, I think that's all been really, really useful and really yeah. helpful. But um, just because we're talking about opioids, um, yeah. I thought I'd touch a little bit on um, opioid crisis. And I know that yeah. you've given a few talks recently about it. So yeah. if you just want to maybe talk a bit about that. And... Um, yes. So recently I did do a talk at the Northwest London RPS on opioid crisis. And it's quite interesting. Um, we're not in crisis in the UK at the moment, like the way US... Yeah. Is going through the crisis, mm-hmm. um, but we, you know, we are on the verge of a crisis, possibly. Yeah, you could see use becoming more prevalent and a lot yes. more cases of it. Yeah. You know, the, the prescribing has significantly increased, and we know that over the past decade, so many figures coming out and showing that um, more and more patients are being prescribed opioids. Do we do we know why prescribing has increased? Um, well, I think I think patients are not probably referred to the pain team, mm. or just sort of just being left off on the prescriptions for a long time, not being reviewed adequately. Yeah. Um, so, and also patients again understanding 
yeah. um, takes a, is a is a huge part of this as well. Um, the relationship between themselves and the pain, if they're not able to deal with the pain and understand the long term consequences, it's quite difficult to 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 start weaning them off. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of dependency when we know that that's why one of the other reasons why um, it's um, increased in prescribing as well because opiate causes dependency through the mesolimbic pathway um, so so yeah and there's a moral problem around the Midlands yeah. you know Blackpool uh, where other areas in the Midlands as well so where there's more socially deprived areas we've seen more and more um, of of an issue of opioid dependency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what were you presenting on in your talks and whenever you were um, talking about the opioid um, crisis? So, it was just you know talking to the community pharmacists, you know, explaining whether we're in we're in the verge of crisis basically, mm-hmm. and what they can do to try and help patients. Yeah. Looking at your local pathways, referring to pain teams, yeah. opening up that conversation. Yeah. As community pharmacists, it's a bit limited in terms of what you can actually do, but what you're actually quite a key person in that, in trying to open up those conversations yeah. and making patients realise yeah. that you know this, you know, you can't be taking opioids for life. Yeah. Um, in managing chronic patients, it's not enough. Evi- it's not good enough evidence out there for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so referring, you know, looking at your local pathways, referrals for pain team, um, and they then can, you know, manage patients' pain in terms of looking at what other issues there are underlying, so they could be referred for rehab, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But you know, we can often be the instigator and in in, in making patients realise. Um, also, there is in London. There is, I know. Um, you can look up the prescribing of different types of opioids um, by the drug name. Mm-hmm. So you can have a an idea. You've got a heat map. Um, so I also showed them that, which was quite interesting. And yeah. uh, it's you know um, quite an eye-opening figures in in some cases. So you know got they got to show what kind of opioids are being prescribed more in one area for example there was more oxycodone and the other area was more of morphine Mm -hmm. and and sometimes you don't expect that in certain areas that you're looking at when Mm -hmm. you look at the social demographic etc but um, it gives you a good insight into that and a good starting point to see and how you can manage that yeah yeah um, and what do you think about working with, you know, working alongside GPs and you know primary care and secondary care working together to try and kind of tackle any issues? Absolutely, I think it's it's absolutely key. I think with the primary care networks as well, I think it's in a way opened up an opportunity for community pharmacists as well and how we can better integrate. I think we definitely have to, you know, have to upskill ourselves, um, engage with the GPs. Mm-hmm looking at the local health economy models holistically, um, identifying those gaps and, and see where we fit in. Um, because I do think we're, you know, we as pharmacists are, you know, are not very good at showcasing our skills sometimes. Yeah. Um, we do have a lot of skills that we can take on. And essentially, we're the experts on medicines. Yeah. We know the pharmacodynamics and kinetics of these drugs, and we can often help um, help GPs 
lessen their burden as well. Um, and that was Mick and Patel discussing opioid-induced constipation. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe to C&D Podcasts on iTunes or your preferred Android app. Thanks for listening.